0: Hi, welcome back to Unsighted, the Internet's Least Reliable English Lit Podcast. I'm Chantel. And I'm Amy. And this is our very first special episode. Special,
1: special, special. Woo! It's
0: a special episode. (laughs) Boom. That's our new theme song.
1: (laughs) It's our new theme song, she says when we don't even have a theme song.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So today we're talking about There Will Come Soft Rains" by Sarah Teasdale, which is a lovely poem, and it was selected by Bryce, who correctly guessed that our last episode was about T.S. Eliot's The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Thank you for suggesting this, Bryce, because it's a World War I poem, and Amy is a World War I resident expert.
1: <laughs> not by choice. <laughs> Shout out to our great war class. <laughs> you weren't in that one, it's fine. No, I wasn't,
0: <laughs> which is why I'm not the resident expert. Um, but first, Amy, yeah. you had a peer review, not about our last episode, but about a rose for Emily.
1: Yeah, so shout out to past us, who said that Disney had a disclaimer over their cartoons, saying that like the views of Express in these, you know, cartoons are from olden times, you know, doesn't make him right. And then we were like, yeah, this is Disney. And then back, our peer reviewer was like, actually, it was Warner Brother, not Disney. And then the other day, I was watching The Muppet Show, and Disney (laughs) also has a disclaimer. So, we're not completely false. So, we didn't know we were right, but we were anyway. Yeah, it's called uh, hindsight.
0: Hindsight is (laughs) 2021. Cries. (laughs) Ha. Ha.
1: Ha um speaking of peer review it's not really a peer review but we keep telling people to send us things um and we got a lovely amazing world-renowned picture of a bird thank you so much we asked you to send our pet pics and you delivered. We love the bird. The bird was my highlight of my day. I was at work and Chantelle was like, oh, hey, look, one of our listeners sent us a picture of a pet. And I was like, oh, cool. Open the picture. See, it's a bird on top of a skull. And I'm like, oh, this is insane. So. I'm very happy. I'm very pleased. Uh, Please give all the little smooches to the bird if the bird likes the smooches.
0: Show-stopping. If you also want to see the bird and you are not the owner of the bird, you can go on our Twitter at unsightedpod. We retweeted the picture. All right, let's talk about this most optimistic poem I've ever read about the apocalypse.
1: (laughs) So I haven't read it yet, so this is going to be a first-hand account of how I feel about it. You can live-react. It's a live react. Okay, cool. Uh, You read it, and then I will give you my uh, initial thoughts and reaction. Okay, so here's the
0: poem, which is public domain in Canada, where we are a lifetime plus 50 years. I'm not sure what it is in the U.S., but we are Canadian, so that's okay. Shout out to copyright laws. There Will Come Soft Rains by Sarah Teasdale, who lived 1884 to 1933. The optional subtitle, which is in some publications, is Wartime. There will come soft rains and the smell of the ground, and swallows circling with their shimmering sound, and frogs in the pool singing at night, and wild plum trees in tremulous white. Robins will wear their feathery fire, whistling their whims on a low fence wire, And not one will know of the war, not one will care at last when it's done. Not one would mind, neither bird nor tree, if mankind perished utterly. And spring herself, when she woke at dawn, would scarcely know that we were gone. Chills. I know,
1: right? Isn't it great? It's pretty great. I mean, not great in there, like, wow, fun but very well executed. Mm-hmm. It's
0: actually um, based off one of her earlier poems about spring and how spring would eventually come, uh, but that one was a lot more optimistic, I think.
1: I wouldn't say there's no optimism here. It's not like a classic optimism, but it is, you know, optimism that it will someday end.
0: yeah. I mean, I, I think it depends, like, how you're reading it. If you're a Tumblr girl from the early 2010s who's like, nature is taking back what is hers,
1: um, this is a
0: very optimistic poem. <laughs> um,
1: well, I see, I see it's optimistic in the sense that during the wartime, the soldiers repeatedly were saying, like, you couldn't hear the birds because the birds weren't around, you know? So, like, the fact that they've come back and that kind of stuff, like, it does demonstrate that it, it did come to an end at a time when it was, like, a never-ending war. So, there is there is that sense mm. of, like, you know, at some point, things will go back to normal. Interesting, yes. But not necessarily, like, the war's over, woo, hooray, but, like, in, like, a passive optimism, I guess. It's like, the war will eventually end. We might end with it. Yeah. But it will end. Yeah, you know, I think it's also kind of saying that like nature doesn't give a crap about us. Like we go in there and we ruin their territory. And then if we're there, cool. If we're not there, probably cooler.
0: I think it's kind of like offering perspective.
1: Yeah, like definitely perspective-y in the sense of like, cut me off if I'm saying exactly what you were going to say because you had to steal it. (laughs) But in the fact that none of this war matters, you know? Yeah. Like, especially the part, Where, like, at the end, she was, like, in spring herself, when she woke at dawn, would scarcely know that we were gone. Like, it does, like, the war doesn't give us anything.
0: Yeah, in the grand scheme of things, it's not really anything. Like, it's not really, in the grand universal scheme of things, we're just a blip. And so that war was just a blip of a blip.
1: This great war wasn't all that great for everybody else. Like, in terms of, like, grandeur. yeah. And then, like, a lot of the
0: soldiers and the people were disillusioned about it. Because, like, unlike World War II, where, yes, it was about political power, but people also knew that it was also about stopping a genocide. People didn't, like, countries didn't get involved in it until there was something in it for them. But once they were in it, the messaging was, we're stopping a genocide. The propaganda. But it was stopping a genocide. Yeah, I mean, I'm all
1: for (laughs) stopping the genocide, but, like, the propaganda was pretty intense. The propaganda
0: was like, we got in this to stop the genocide, when actually it's not that.
1: When actually it's like, we want to secure our shipping lanes.
0: Yeah, really. And there were, like, years where they just did not care that was happening. Anyway, off topic, we're not talking about World War 2 We're talking about World War One, which was purely political motivations. Yeah. It was, like... It started within an assassination. It did. And it was literally a power struggle yeah. for land. And the assassination wasn't even... It was the thing that tipped it off. But I think it would have happened anyway, because... It would have. the the things that were going on. You know what? I don't know about World War One. You should talk about this. Yeah, so
1: like it could have been like the assassination of the Archduke Franz Ferdinand sometimes is seen as like the catalyst for everything. But I see it more as like a scapegoat for the war. Like people were just like, oh, we have all these political tension. You say, well, I guess it's time to invade people because they wronged us. How do they wrong us? He's dead now. So, like, kind of like, a, oh, well, why are you fighting? Oh, this guy died. Like, that's kind of how I see the assassination, like, as a, in the grand scheme of the war. But, like, it was really just, a it was a land war. People wanted more land. Um, like, it wasn't even really a war on, like, religious bases or anything. Like, you often see, like, pre, you know, during the Ottoman times or whatever. Like, there were a lot of religious wars, right? Like, you had the Crusades and that kind of stuff. This isn't it. Like, World War One is almost purely a land battle and, like, just restructuring uh, borders to get different borders, I guess. Um, so, yeah. Don't invade Belgium. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm going <gotta> to say <laughs> that. Don't invade Belgium ever in any war. Not going to be good for you.
0: Top three rules. Never get involved in a land war in Asia. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on line. And don't invade Belgium.
1: Don't invade Belgium is my new my new favorite thing to say. Um, just in general, I guess. Okay, so like, yes, it was a petty war with, you know, petty reasons. But it had real world consequences. Millions of people died. Um, you know, hundreds of thousands of people came back with some form of shell shock, which was the name for PTSD at the time. And then it led... To, like, the dispersation of the Spanish flu, the 1918 influenza pandemic, which killed more people than the actual war did. This has become a history podcast.
0: It's funny you should mention that. Well, not funny. Not funny, haha. Not funny, haha. But, you know, funny like, hmm, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> So this was written in 1918. It came out July 1918. So during the beginning of the Spanish flu pandemic and kind of towards the end of world war one
1: yeah about six months before the end
0: yeah sarah teesdale is an american poet so another important thing to note is the sedition act of 1918 which made it illegal to speak out openly against the government
1: (laughs) which is super fun because when you consider that the united states got into this war at the very end like they only got there in 1917 so they were like oh let's make all these rules against talking against the government and it's like, buddy, you got late to the party. Like, you did not win Vimy.
0: <laughs>
1: I'm really sorry
0: to our American listeners. It's for American listeners.
1: There's a lot of patriotism around Vimy. We're, we're the reason that France got to keep Vimy and we got to, like, push back the line. It's not the Americans. The Americans just showed up and were like, we can fix this. And we were like, yeah.
0: I really like your um universal voice for Americans in the early 1900s
1: yeah I mean it's also important to know that like Canada was not a country at this point so like there's a lot of Canadian patriotism and we weren't we weren't actually a
0: country that's true we were not technically a country yet
1: but it, it cemented a lot of our patriotism in that event so that's fun yeah so um
0: So there is the Sedition Act. Yes, tell me more about the Sedition Act. I shall. Wikipedia attributes the poem's subtle pastoral form to the Sedition Act, and it's like, oh, she's using the pastoral imagery to kind of subtly put forth her pacifist message. But actually, that was really common in war poetry, so I disagree strongly. Edward Thomas was in the war, and he was writing pastoral poems about pacifism, and I don't I don't agree. I don't agree with that.
1: <laughs> I also don't agree, um, due to the multitude of books that I've read <laughs> about World War One, Um, from, like, the beginning of the war to, like, current publications, the pastoral aspect has been... Like, within the scope of the genre. Pastoral was popping off in World War One. Yeah, because I think there's a lot of, like, peacefulness to be found in pastoralism. Yeah. So, it, like, it juxtaposes itself very nicely with it. I know in the class I took, we read Sky Pilot and No Man's Land, which had a lot of pastoralism in it. But that's also because it was written with a lot of religious undertones, overtones. And I think even about, like, Timothy Finley's The Wars, which I think you read. Yeah. No, I did. <laughs> Look out for that episode coming up because that's going to be a doozy. Oh, my God. But there's a lot of pastoral imagery in that one as well, but it's kind of used as a weapon for pacifism.
0: Yeah. I think pastoral imagery is very common because there's there's that, but also because, like, the war was so horrible. Like, so trench horrible. warfare was horrendous. Horrific. And horrendous. It was horrific and horrendous.
1: Yeah. It was also other words. Uh, Keep going. Many other words. We have a thesaurus. (laughs) Synonyms.com.
0: And yeah, I think it was like one of the only ways a lot of people could probably talk about something so terrible that was happening.
1: Well, we talked about disillusionment before and I think it's also like pastoralism is a form of disassociation. Mm. Yeah, In this context, like, it's super easy to start, like, talking about, like, how the landscape used to be and how the landscape looks now. And to romanticize how it used to be when it's no longer there. Yeah. To, like, find some solace in, like, you know, the birds chirping and the frogs being around, you know. Like, anything other than rats. Rats thrived in the trench warfare. Fleas also. Oh, man. But, you know birds, unless they were vultures, didn't really hang out all that much.
0: I didn't even think of the vultures. Oh, man. This is really horrific imagery. Yeah. yeah. I can see why they went for pastoral.
1: Yeah. So, well, you say that, like, just this imagery of talking about it is racking your brain and, like, you know, I, I saw your eyes bulge out of your head. But, like, the year-long course I took when we were in school about World War One really fucked me up like a lot. That was
0: the year we were really living together. And, yes, it did
1: yeah i remember i would be reading these passages and i would go to you and like we were talking and then i would just start breaking down because i would have like you know memories of these passages and like even now like i have like these images and i don't even know which book they were from anymore but like this guy's and it, it ties into like our pastoral imagery but they were like in the woods and they found this guy whose faces had been blown out you know super trigger warning you might want to put one at the end uh, top of this episode but like i remember reading i think that was in in three day road actually by joseph boyden where you see like the the face has exploded and that's like just scarred in my brain so that's great thanks for that professor whom I appreciate and admire.
0: <laughs> That's not sarcasm. We really do. We
1: really do. But like, I started that class and I told him, I was like, I don't know if I'll be able to read all of this because I have like, you know, some anxiety about like dying and death.
0: And he's like, congrats. You took a World War One class.
1: Yeah. And I, at the end, he was like, I'm really surprised you were able to like do so well in this class. Like you participated in every class. And then I realized, oh, I just like to torture myself. Um <laughs> masochism. I'm a grief junkie. <laughs> So, you know, the images that we have in this poem, like yeah, they're pastoral and they're, they're pretty joyful. Like, you're, they're not sad. And they're not, like, you know, graphic or anything. But, like, when you think about the other side of it, like, when you get into, like, where it was coming from, you think about, oh, the swallows aren't circling. The frogs aren't singing. Trees are being blown to pits, like, bits and pieces. The, like, shards of wood are impaling themselves in people. Robins were not around, The low fence wires, those were there, but those are are remnants of the, the imagery of the war. Like, you know, those are the things that stay there after we are gone. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting that you get this pastoral imagery in the beginning and then there's like a clear shift of like, oh, but this war still happened, you know? Yeah. Because like, she didn't need to put the, the fence wire there. Like the fence didn't need to be there. The remnants of humanity didn't need to be there. When I think of fence wiring, I think of wires like in No Man's Land, you know?
0: Yeah, I was picturing kind of barbed wires too actually.
1: Yeah. Cuz like if it was a normal fence, you would just say fence. Yeah.
0: And also if it was a normal fence it probably would have rotted away because it would have been
1: wood. Yeah.
0: Or it would have been like stone and then eroded away, but wire is metal so it it would stay around like This is going to touch on something we're going to cover later in the episode, but like m- we're developing new things that stick around. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this this did happen in nineteen eighteen and I think the pandemic is more relevant to us now. So let's talk about that.
1: Oh can I make a recommendations to people? I have two. Yes. Okay. So Amy's book wrecks on pandemics slash war ish. Um so my first that directly relates to the First World War is a play called Unity 1918 by Kevin Kerr which is set in Saskatchewan Saskatchewan and it's a comedy believe it or not guys about people coming back from the war and infecting their land their people and like people just drop like flies and so one of my favorite jokes is in it so it's really good and I really recommend it and it's Canadian and again go Canada <laughs> <laughs> So that's a really good one and then one that touches more on pandemic stuff And less on the war stuff is Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel.
0: Oh my god, that's not about the Spanish flu, but it's so good. Exactly.
1: So it's a dystopian pandemic, vaguely influenced by the SARS outbreak in 2003. But if you're an English major, there's a Shakespeare troupe in it. And I think it's really interesting. And it's really good. Only read it on a good day. um, Because the parallels to right now are kind of super scary. But it is... It is chef's kiss. It is. I first
0: read it in like January. So COVID hadn't really hit Canada yet. Oh, you read
1: it? So we get to talk about it?
0: I, we could, yeah. We can do a future episode on Station 11. Watch out, guys. Um, But yeah, I was listening to it as an audio book in the car. And every time they were talking about pandemic stuff, and I was thinking about how COVID was starting to spread. I was like, wouldn't it be wild if COVID was serious like this? Good thing it's not. And then, I mean, it's not as bad,
1: but there are some interesting parallels for sure. Man, it was bleak. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was bleak. I have it here and I keep telling my partner, I'm like, oh, you should really read it. It's really interesting. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, read it after the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, because I keep wanting to reread it because I have a friend who's writing her PhD. Um, and it's part of her dissertation. That's awesome. Yeah, I might actually ask her to jump on our episode if we do talk about it. But yeah, no. So like, I keep wanting to reread it so I can talk to her about it because I'm really interested in what she's doing. But I'm like, I don't have the stomach for it right now. <laughs>
0: yeah, maybe wait until like 2022.
1: 2023. 2028. Stop. <laughs> okay. Can can I add something real quick? Yes. So I think, you know, my weird optimism that I was talking about earlier has an interesting parallel between what we're feeling right now and what they were feeling during the Great War. Like it felt like it was never ending. Kind of like how this pandemic feels like it's never going to end, you know? But it did. And it's going to. And that's Amy's optimism for today. And there you have it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So the pandemic in this poem,
0: I want to touch on it because we think of it as the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918. And this was written in 1918. So we're like, oh, that must be really relevant. No, because it was written in America and the Spanish flu didn't reach its first peak in america until like october november of 1918 and this was written in july so like it was around but it was really only a thing that was happening on like ships of people coming back from the war a couple of small pockets there were like some mayors
1: talking about it so like covid in january 2020
0: yeah covid here in january 2020 but yeah it didn't have as much influence on this poem as we might project onto it. So just note that. And then I also wanted to talk about the philosophy of the poem, because I thought that was interesting. Okay. So we did mention before that this poem shows that the universe doesn't revolve around us. It's offering perspective. And I think that's an interesting contrast to the type of poems and stories that were popular almost right up to this point, where it was like religious messages, and the world fully did revolve around us, literally. (laughs) Right, And it's interesting where that comes from, because Sarah Teasdale was into Charles Darwin's writings, and he was very much like, nature doesn't care if humans survive, humans are surviving, because we have made that
1: happen. That's true. I was going to comment on whether or not this was modernism or no, but I don't think it is.
0: The form is definitely not modernism, but I think it was written during the era when modernism was just starting. It's like a pastoral lyric, so it's very much not modernism.
1: Yeah, but that touches on the parody aspect of modernism. It's actually
0: a postmodernist poem. It's actually a postmodernist piece of performance art. Hot take. Hot take. If you want to steal that for your PhD, go ahead. This is a special episode, so we're going to have a special little break to hear a word from another podcast. Alan and Rebecca are going to tell us about Not Again Pod. If you like us, you will probably like them because we have preschool-level analysis of college-level content, and they have college-level analysis of preschool-level content. Friends, welcome to the trailer for Not Again, the podcast that brings college level analysis to
1: preschool level content. I'm one of your hosts, Rebecca. Then he gives up that Marlin went to the fishing grounds. And this is the equivalent of a human saying he went to the murder forest. <laughs> like, they are quite aware of fishermen, and they n- apparently know of a place called the fishing grounds. Why are any of the fish going there? And I'm your other host, Alan. He kind of <laughs> seems like a Bond villain to right. me. Like, he's, he's in his, like, world airport outside of international law with his robot army, and he's just like... <laughs> (laughs) Messing with people.
0: We're a married couple with two sons. The older one likes to watch very specific shows and movies over and over and over again.
1: Movies like The Secret Life of Pets 2, Finding Nemo, and My Neighbor Totoro.
0: Shows like Go Go Corey Carson, Super Wings, and Peppa Pig.
1: We release a new episode every Saturday. You don't have to have seen these shows in order to enjoy the podcast. We've seen them enough for everyone. Trust us.
0: So come join us as we hang
1: on to our sanity by meticulously overanalyzing kids' entertainment that was never meant to be that closely scrutinized in the first place. Find Not Again with an exclamation point on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Look for the two remotes covered in popcorn and breakfast series. We can't wait to share our thoughts with you. Thanks for listening. Bye, friends. Bye.
0: Welcome back. Welcome back. So yeah, go check out Not Again Pod here is Us. Um, I also wanted to talk about a fun fact I learned while I was researching this poem, which is probably not that much of a fun fact, it's probably just a fact. Like a thing, a thing people know. Um, but for me it was a fun fact because I hadn't heard of this poem before. There's also a short story of the same name by Ray Bradbury, the author of Fahrenheit 451, um, which I was really excited to see because I love sci-fi so much.
1: Amy is sitting here in the corner being like, ah, yes, (laughs) fiction that also has science in it.
0: You literally were just talking about Station Eleven, so do not even.
1: I mean, yeah, but it has a lot of English major pandering in its sci-fi-ness. So does this. Shh. Just wait. You'll see. Tell me more. Okay. So,
0: There Will Come Soft Rains by Ray Bradbury was written in 1950. It is a science fiction set in 2026 about a smart home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's no characters, unless you're counting a dog that doesn't talk. Of
1: course, the dog is the most important person here.
0: No, the dog's not. The dog's not even. Oh, okay. (laughs) The dog's only there for like a brief moment. The story is about the house. It's set in Allendale, California after a nuclear bomb has dropped and all the people are gone and the smart house is still left running and it's just going through like its regular routine and it's like making breakfast, cleaning up breakfast, keeping animals off of the house with its little safeguards. And it's like, it's time for a poetry reading. What poem would you like? Since you have not selected a poem, I have chosen one for you, one of your favorites. There Will Come Soft Rains by Sarah Teasdale. Because of course, and then basically what happens is that there's like a pet dog that it recognizes, so it lets the dog in, but it's making pancakes and the dog is starving, so the dog just dies. No! Yeah, It, like, immediately dies. Oh, that's bad. And the robot mice come and, like, sweep up the dog's remains and stuff. And then the house gets burned down in a lightning storm. And there's one last wall left standing, forever listing off today's date. (laughs) So basically, I think what Ray Bradbury is getting at, or what this story is getting at, is that we have now developed things... That last beyond us. Things that will carry on without us and not let nature take over again. Like, it's keeping the animals from landing on the house. It's not helping the dog survive. And basically, the landscape is also uninhabitable because there's been a nuclear bomb.
1: Yeah, there's this whole idea of, like, have we gone too far in our like nature finds a way to take over path yeah and the fact that he was thinking this in the 50s it's like a slap in the face in 2021 because hashtag reality (laughs) like it's it's weird because i have like phones from when i was in high school that are still just lying around in my house and i keep like every time i get a new phone which is like every like four years or whatever I keep seeing the pile stack up and I'm like, if I have, like, a pile of six phones or whatever, you know, and everybody has a pile of six phones and I'm really conservative with how many times I replace my phones. Yeah. Like, how many phones will we have that can do, like, you know, complex arithmetics and, like, connect to, like, the vast internet universe and, like, explain the universe that we'll just leave behind after we're gone that will just keep as long as they have battery. Please, someone get us better battery life. <laughs> we'll just keep cycling through this until it can't, you know?
0: Yeah, I think the thing about what actually happened is Ray Bradbury had a lot of faith in how long things would last. Like, this house lasted quite a while functioning. After the bomb hit, um, I don't think it would because things don't really function that long. They're not built to last anymore. Yeah. Hashtag kids these days. Hashtag I need a new phone. (laughs) Yeah. But they're built, they're built to last physically. Like they're not built to work for a long time. But they're not built to biodegrade either. Yeah. Like the fence wire would be there for ages, and your cell phone's gonna be there for ages if you don't send it to a recycling plant. So that's what you should do. You should definitely do that. But
1: they still have data on them. What if one of them breaks and I no longer have a backup? You can keep one phone. I'm using it as a USB. Oh, you look so sad. I feel old.
0: <laughs> you feel old, you feel old. You shall wear the bottoms of your trousers
1: rolled. Boom, now
0: I've used it in a sentence.
1: Ah, yeah, you have. Suck on that. And if you're lost (laughs) about this, dear listener, please listen to our episode from the week previous to this one. (laughs) Wink, wink, nudge, nudge.
0: I think that's everything for us today. Thank you, Bryce, for choosing this poem. We really enjoyed talking about it. Wait, we both have to rate it, though. Oh my gosh, yes, we do have to rate it. Neither of us picked it. So we both get to rate it. Yes, for Bryce. Ooh, how exciting. Okay, um... What should we rate it on? Oh my gosh. We have no one to give us a rating scale. We are dogs without horses right now.
1: (laughs) Bryce, why did you leave us hanging like this? (laughs) Help. You know what? How many Sarah Teasdale would you uh, rate this? I would rate this
0: one whole Sarah Teasdale because there is only one unique Sarah Teesdale. And that's all we need. And I liked it a lot. I really like the poem. So it's a one out of one for you? It's a it's a one out of one for me, yes.
1: Um I will rate it a one Sarah Teesdale, but with her hair a little disheveled. (laughs) Because it brought me back deep into my roots of memory lane for this class I took. Um and although I really loved it, I thought it was really fun, not in the fun haha way, but in the like fun to talk about way um and i thought it was it was short which i enjoy and it was on a topic that i like but it also made me think about the war again and my brain's like dark so
0: and that's a pertinent rating because when you were reading the stories about world war one your hair was a little disheveled oh
1: man how many times did i just walk into your room and be like
0: can Can I read you this? Like your eyes glazed over, your hair up in a messy bun. You're just staring into the middle distance. Like tears dried
1: on my cheeks. I don't know what this was. I'm like, can I read you this? And you're like, please don't. And I read it to you and you're like, why are you like this? <laughs> ah. So yeah. Thank you so much, Bryce. This was a fun time and it got us two other books that we will eventually talk about so if you're interested in wars and or pandemics look out for those ones
0: if you like this episode please give us a follow wherever you listen to your podcast. we would love if you would rate us on the itunes store Or share us with any of your friends or enemies or strangers that you meet on the street.
1: Yes. And send us an email at the following. I'mcitedpodcasts at outlook.com.
0: Amazing. Stunning. (laughs) Show-stopping.
1: Just like the bird. Just like the bird. I loved it. We would love to get either your pictures of your pets or your pet rocks or anything else really that you think I would find pertinent. You know, (laughs) that could be fun. Also your peer reviews, your ideas for other episodes. Um, We got a lovely email from Chelsea who sent us a bunch of information about future episodes that we could work on and also some lovely kind words. So thank you for that. So please email us. I love getting emails.
0: Or if you don't have an email and you don't want to email us, um, you can also tweet us at unsightedpod on Twitter. Yeah,
1: we got the the tweets. Thanks for listening. And as always, we're excited and available.
0: Amazing. Amazing.